Welcome to the Kid Men Podcast with Dr. Val and Dr. Virginia, where we talk about everything Kid Men. And pull back the curtain on some of the surprises and challenges in children's ministry that nobody prepares you for. I'm Dr. Val, and together we have over 45 years of experience in children's ministry. I'm Dr. Virginia. Valerie and I met over 10 years ago in our doctoral program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are excited to share with you all the great stuff that we have picked up over the years. We want to minister to you, the children's minister. Welcome, friends. We are ready to talk part two, child development and spiritual formation. We just had so much to try to put into one episode that we decided to try to split it out a little bit. How are you doing today, Dr. Virginia? I'm doing good. I'm excited for us to keep going. Um, I know our first one, we were like, well, we'll try to squeeze it in one. So, but I'm, I'm excited for us to, to keep going and to get finished. Well, and we keep talking about how the, this is a subject we could talk about for days. I mean, we could do, yes, we could probably yes. do 30, 40 minutes on each one <laughs> yes. age individually. And so... It's really hard for us to not get so excited that we just kind of keep going on about it. So yeah, um, I taught but, like a six week long adult discipleship class about child development and spiritual formation, which I'm see. hoping to do again pretty soon. So yeah, see? yeah, it's so helpful. <laughs> it's really great information. And if you're wondering, mm -hmm. why do I need to know about childhood development? Why do I need to understand this about kids? And it's because it is so very important for us to keep in mind how children learn when we're teaching them, because they are so very different at different mm -hmm. developmental levels. And so you really need to kind of think, oh, wait, the characteristics of my first graders are very different from the characteristics of my fifth graders. Mm -hmm. And so you have to kind of keep that in yeah. mind as you're developing your curricula, as you're figuring out what you're wanting to teach as you're choosing material to use for a Bible study for, you know, for a Wednesday evening for those different times. And so I think it's really important for us to be able to kind of think through, well, there's so much, I love the older elementary age. And yeah. so I just have a few things that we can talk about today about working with those 10, 11, 12 year old kids, you know, those that are in the upper elementary going into middle school or in the beginning stages of middle school. You know, there's a lot of churches, churches divide up their children's ministry in a wide variety of ways. Right. Some churches have kindergarten through sixth grade mm -hmm. in their elementary department in their children's ministry. Some go from first grade through fifth grade. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some go, I've, I've, I've worked with some that work kindergarten through fourth mm -hmm. because at, in their school system, fifth grade mm -hmm. begins middle school. So they have a middle school department. And so the thing that I usually recommended to churches is when you're looking at your fifth and sixth graders, you really need to think about your community, your mm -hmm. church community, and also think about your youth ministry. Mm -hmm. If you have a youth ministry that's just all together, where mm -hmm. you have all the kids together in the youth right. ministry, right. having fifth and sixth graders included in a classroom with juniors and seniors. 
big difference. It's a big difference. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, middle school and high school, they're good together. It's fine. You know, it's no big deal. You know. But honestly, again, developmentally, a fifth grader is just so, so, so very different from a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And so thinking, and, and I know that it's really hard because a lot of people will say, well, parents want them, don't want them in the children's ministry anymore, you know, when they're in middle school, because they want them, you know, then create a preteen ministry within your children's ministry so that you do have your fourth and fifth graders or your fifth and sixth graders, you know, in their own department within your children's ministry Mm -hmm. and maybe offer some different things for them and have them set separately. But Again, they're just very, very young to be included in a youth ministry if that youth ministry has all of the age groups kind of together in all their activities and all the things. You really want to get together with your church staff and think through how do we want to design our preschool, children's, preteen, youth ministries, student ministries? How do we want to have these classes set up so you can provide the spiritual development that they need at the stage that they're in. Mm-hmm. And, and so the that more that you can unique. coordinate, I know this isn't necessarily the topic of this episode, but the more <laughs> that you can coordinate between those different age graded ministries to mm-hmm. um, be intentional in having yes. those age graded ministries build upon each other, um, the more cohesive you can make that, um, the better experience that's going to be for your kids and the more effective you can teach them. Um, Cause it's so easy for us to get kind of siloed in our different areas and our different age graded ministries. It is, especially with children's ministers and youth ministers, because mm-hmm. like I said, you, well, youth ministry is such its own unique it's its own thing. Kind of, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it has very specific needs and the personalities of youth ministers are very unique. <laughs> you know, they, they have, the, they have the yeah. things that they need to be focused on and the things that they need to be able to do are so very different typically. And a lot of times I always felt like the den mother to the youth ministry, (laughs) you know, trying to say, yeah, but don't forget about this security or, you know, like all those kinds of things. But needless to say, I always try to be sure to have a really close relationship with Mm -hmm. the student minister, with the youth minister, because exactly what you said, I wanted to have a seamless transition when they Mm -hmm. were leaving, when the kids were leaving children's ministry and moving into student ministry, I wanted them to have a a really great transition there. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to coordinate how we said goodbye to our kids in the children's ministry, but also I wanted them prepared for what they were moving into. And so I do think mm-hmm. it's really important for you to sit down as a staff and say, this is what our preschool looks like. What do we need to do to prepare our preschoolers for our children's ministry? And then mm-hmm. look at how do we prepare our children's ministry for our student ministry? Mm-hmm. And do we have a preteen ministry and how are we going to help them grow into that space? And, and so you really do have to be able to work together to do that. And so I think it's really important to think about that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned is that When you are working with the younger elementary, first, second, third graders, you're working with kids who are, are, even if they have been in church since preschool, you know, they're just moving into a children's ministry. They're just really starting to understand spiritual development. They're beginning their own personal relationship with Jesus. And so they're just learning all of these things for the first time. You know, they're learning the Bible verses. They're learning the books of the Bible. They're learning the the stories. And so they're all kind of at the same level. Mm -hmm. When you move into fourth, 
fifth, sixth grade. Now you're looking at kids that have had a wide variety of experiences when it comes to church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One reason is because now you have a lot more kids who sleep over at friends' houses on Saturday night or went to a ball game or did something on Saturday. So they're staying with friends. So they're coming to church with their friends. Mm-hmm. And some of them are walking into the church building for the very first time when they're coming with their friends. And what we have a tendency to do when we're teaching is that we expect that all of our kids know everything that they should know because they've been with us in first right. grade, second grade, third grade. And so we, we tell these stories or we mention things Yeah, like we'll play a game and we'll just immediately go into as a question about David and Goliath mm-hmm. thinking, oh, well, everyone knows that story. But when you're working with kids in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, some of them may have never heard about it before. I can remember I was in a class one time. I think it was fourth grade. It might have been fifth grade. And we were talking and a a girl raised her hand at the beginning of the story. And I called on her and she said, you keep saying God. What is God? She had never been to church before. Her family had never talked about God or the Bible. And so she was there with a friend. It was her first time. And so literally when I was talking about God, she had no concept of who that was. Mm. And I know a lot of people will tell me, well, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody knows who God is. Not Not everybody knows who God is. If you don't have that background, if you don't have any history with any type of church experience or any she's type. Maybe of only Bible. heard it as a swear word. Right. You know, yeah. she, she had no yeah. concept of who yeah. God was as yeah. a person. Mm-hmm. And so it was that idea of like, okay, wow, I needed to be more mindful yeah. of the fact that I had a visitor in the room and I needed to make sure I went all the way back to the beginning of this, you know, story and make sure I laid a foundation before I jumped into it. And so it's those kinds of things that make us remember that we, we sometimes put our experiences onto others, mm-hmm. you know, especially if, you know, if you grow up in a certain area or if you grow up in church, or if you grow up with parents that have a certain experience, mm-hmm. then you just assume that everyone's had that same experience and they have not. And so it's really, really important with older elementary, with preteens as you come, come into that. The neat thing about that, that age, that, you know, 10, 10 year old, 11 year old, 12 year olds, they are beginning to analytically process information yeah. and think for themselves. Mm-hmm. They have a better developed vocabulary and their thinking skills are more advanced. So they are able to look at the, the stories that you tell, the situations that you tell, and they're able mm-hmm. to think a little bit more critically for themselves. They don't need it spoon fed as much. They can take the information and begin to process it on their own because they are beginning to understand cause. They're beginning to understand cause and effect. Like mm-hmm. they know you know, if this happens, then this is going to happen. They can mm-hmm. begin to problem solve mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. more individually as opposed to having to do it with a great deal of guidance like the early elementary age needs to. So they are beginning to think more abstractly so they can like look at situations and begin to process. 
So at this age, um, children are um, developing those building blocks of abstract thought, just like what you're talking about. And so, whereas in the younger ages, in the early elementary ages, um, it, that's a great time to focus a lot on memorization and, um, you know, just sort of imparting a lot of basic biblical truths. Um, in the latter elementary years, um, we see multiple things happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> one is that switch from learning to read to mm. reading to learn. Right. Um, and that's a big switch that happens in those years. And so yeah. we can um, do a lot more um, with reading and reading information. Um, we still want to be cautious because there are, we know there are kids with, oh, you know, yeah. dyslexia and other, you know, learning disabilities. Um, but reading to learn, they can start working through like multi-step processes. They can start analyzing information, comparing, contrasting. Um, these are all different things that we can do with these older elementary ages um, as they are developing those foundational skills for abstract right. thought. Right. Well, and that's what's so great. I, one of the things that I enjoy doing with this age is to just do the large pieces of paper and a pencil and let them in groups work together to find the answers to questions. Mm -hmm. You know, after hearing the Bible story, then have a few key questions that I want them to kind of think through, but I'm going to have them do that in a group because of what you had said earlier about the fact that we do have a, a great deal of disparity between reading mm -hmm. abilities at this age, where you're going to have some kids that are very strong readers and can read very well because they do have a growing vocabulary. They're able to read a new word and kind of start to infer what it means as opposed to needing somebody to exactly tell them what every single word means when they're reading mm -hmm. new information. But Again, because you have those differing abilities, I try to put kids together, stronger readers with maybe weaker readers in small groups so that they have that ability to be able to work together to try to find the answers to things, but that it's not all of the pressure just on one. Right. And so that that way they do have the ability to be able to use those skills as they're learning. Mm -hmm in the classroom setting and to be able to work together because they enjoy working together. But it's, it's also making sure that we're setting them up to succeed. The biggest thing we have to remember is that we are in church. We're not in school. So I want the activities to be fun and fun. engaging and I want yes. them to learn, <laughs> but I don't want that pressure of them feeling like mm -hmm. it's something that they can't do mm -hmm. because I want them to feel very successful in the work that they're doing when they're in church. And so it's finding that kind of balance as I'm watching mm -hmm. them work and as I'm, you know, helping them work. And so that's what's so exciting is to see them begin to problem solve, to understand that cause and effect and be able to look at a situation and be able to, to, to guess what might happen next and what's mm -hmm. going to happen next and what options that particular person from the story has and have them kind of think through, well, what could they have done here? Could they have, you know, what could they have done differently? Those kinds of questions are fun because it gives them that chance to kind of play around with the story a little bit and be able to think, oh, wait, what if he had done this, then this would have happened. This is why he had to do this. And so it helps to be able to do that. And so it's amazing though, when you think through, like we, we've talked about the levels of biblical learning a lot, and I love the levels of biblical learning, but it also helps you as you are creating your material for a particular class time. So for example, if you're looking at what a first and second grader can understand about God, one of the things it says is that God hears and answers prayer. 
you know, the first and second grader can understand God can hear my prayer and he can answer my prayer. In grades three and four, it steps up that concept to God hears people's prayers and communicates with them. Mm-hmm. So it sort of takes that up a notch. But then when you hit preteen, it says, God knows the desires of my heart and wants me to pray. Mm-hmm. So it's taking uh-huh. that each, each grade can handle a little bit more specific information, a little bit more of an abstract uh, point when you're moving into the older age. So they're able to think abstractly. They're able to kind of think, oh, wait, you know, God knows what I want, but he still wants me to have that relationship with him. So they begin to understand how to make it more personal. And so it moves it up. I did get a copy of the new yeah. ages and stages, um, which is the which new, is the new yes, the new levels of biblical learning is what it has. This is what it looks like. It's got circles blue and green circles. I really um, wait. I want to know, open it for a second. Does it still, is it still chart form or is it more um, laid it out is. as a book? No, it's still chart okay. form. It's still yeah. Chart form. So, right. um, yeah. So this is the new levels of biblical learning. It is called ages and stages now. All right. Great. Yay. <laughs> I, I, I'm out of the loop these days. So I don't get, I don't get all the new material like I used to. So it's fun to see. I get excited. <laughs> Oh, well, one of the other things that we need to remember about preteens are that they're old enough to begin to adopt their own personal belief system. Mm -hmm. So they are beginning to create that foundation for what they are going to believe as they grow older. Uh, They are really, really interested in their community. Mm -hmm. And so they are developing a conscience and a value system. So they're beginning to understand the repercussions from actions, Mm -hmm. but they are also beginning to see how that can affect people around them more. Not to say that they're not still very self-centered because they are (laughs) still very self-centered and that's the way God created them to be for a reason. They are learning about themselves. And so they are still very self-centered, but at this age, they are beginning to be able to see others' needs and be able to sort of start thinking about how their actions have certain consequences and how their actions can affect others. And so it's neat to see them as they grow um, and begin to understand that. And they're looking at their group and they're wanting to know, how can I help my friends? How can I help my community? How can I be a part of this to make a difference and how I can, can change things. And so they're beginning to understand and see the needs of others and not just themselves quite as much. It's like their own little personal world is starting to expand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And those interests and those beliefs are going to change dramatically as they grow. Mm-hmm. Um, one day they may swear they are never going to eat meat again for the rest of their lives. And then the <laughs> next day they want you to take them to Taco Bell. They are learning about others' beliefs. They are learning about other cultures. And so they want to begin to adopt things, but they're still learning about them and mm-hmm. understanding that long-term commitment. Now with preteens, you can see that they do commit more, but honestly, it still is not long-term. <laughs> they they are not necessarily going to be able to commit to doing something for a long period of time, but they can understand about making commitments and trying to make commitments. And they have the, the intentions are to do that. Um, And talking about how quickly their interests change. Also their moods change (laughs) very dramatically. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about this before, I, I feel like, in, in one 
episode for something, but you have to realize that the changes in hormones that are happening at this age is very quick. And we as adults have had time to learn how to deal with mood changes and hormone changes and just changes within our own bodies and how things work. Preteens have not had very long to be able to learn how to do that. And mm-hmm. so when they are inundated with these chemical changes within their body, when they are dealing with changes in their environment and people and dealing with difficult people or different people, because a lot of times children might not be as experienced working in a group as other children. Mm-hmm. Some have been socialized greatly. Some have been very sheltered for a very long time. And so for them to begin working with people with different personalities and different um, tendencies, it, it it's difficult for them. And so their moods change pretty quickly. And so you have to stay yeah. on top of that when you're working with them to understand that Sometimes they do need a minute to take a breath. Yeah. Sometimes they yeah. do need a, a break. Sometimes they need to walk away for a second and you need to have those opportunities for them to be able to just sort of figure out how to adjust the feelings that they are dealing with at that particular moment. And one thing we talk about too with child development in general is it's not strictly linear. It's more of a two mm-hmm. steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Sure. And so, you know, just because you have maybe an 11 year old who in some, on some days can seem very mature, can seem um, just like they are going in the right direction. And then the next day they just have like a meltdown. <laughs> and right. so it's not, they're not doing it intentionally. They're they not really doing aren't. it to frustrate you. They're not no. doing it. It's just you, we as adults have to keep in mind everything Valerie is saying and that development is not strictly linear. Like they will yeah. have hard days. They will have days when it's like, why are you acting like this? Like you haven't acted like this in years. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. And that it's, it's okay. It's normal. We have to be, um, that place of, you know, calm. And like you said, give them a moment right. um, and calm them with our calmness. Like just mm-hmm. because they're having a hard day, we right. can stay calm and we can encourage them even in that, that hard day or right. that seemingly developmental regression or oh, whatever's yeah. going on. Because, um, and we don't know what they're dealing with when they are walking into the classroom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, family situations, mm-hmm. home situations, are so very different. And even when you see a family that you think seem to be very stable and very balanced, that doesn't necessarily mean that when they are home, it's very stable or very balanced. That's right. And unfortunately, as children get older, sometimes parents tend to think they can handle things that they really are not capable of handling yet. And so they are dealing with a lot of transition, a lot of change, a lot of instability um, Mm -hmm. often. And so we do have to remember that we don't know what happened in their home the night before. We don't know exactly what's going on. And so, again, they have not learned yet how to handle those emotions and those changes. And so we have to be very patient with them and understand that even if you think they are doing something on purpose, they are really not doing it on purpose in the way that you think that they are. Yes, they might be trying to get attention. Yes, they may be very frustrated. Yes, they don't know what to do with their emotions. But 
also they're they're sometimes they are desperately crying out for help in ways that we don't necessarily understand. Right. And so for us to be able to find ways to encourage them and find things that interest them and be able to distract them for those moments while they're there with you so that they can have fun and they can enjoy themselves, but know that it's a safe place and know that you care about them and know that you really do, um, that you do have patience with them and understanding and that you just want to listen. Sometimes they just need to have somebody that they can talk to because they just never get to talk to anyone. And so it's those kinds of things that we have to kind of think about when we're working with this age, because there's so much going on underneath. that we have to kind of be prepared for. And so it's, it's a lot more complicated than we think it is um, when we are thinking about how children are able to handle their emotions and be able to handle that. And that's one of the reasons that one of the things we need to remember too, you can't look at all fifth graders and expect them all to be exactly the same, all to be on the same level developmentally, Mm -hmm. all socially at the same level, because Mm -hmm. they are not, we know scientifically that girls develop more quickly than boys. Mm -hmm. They physically grow faster than boys do. Mm -hmm. um, And they also. Puberty um, begins earlier. Yes. Mm -hmm. Puberty does begin earlier for girls than it does for boys. So that's why you do typically have the taller girls in the classroom Mm -hmm. than the boys. And you have that (laughs) awkward, you know, feeling that the girls have around the boys. And you also have cognitive development that's very different. And that goes all the way through, you know, it's, it's, it's girls just cognitively develop a little mm-hmm. faster than boys do. And so it's another reason why I, this age prefers to interact with members of their own sex. They mm-hmm. feel very awkward around, you know, mm-hmm. girls and boys feel awkward around each other. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you do tend to have a little more drama when you're working with boys and girls together. And so Uh girls do tend to prefer. And so I really Mm -hmm. have always tried when I work out groups for games and for activities in this age, I really do try to keep the boys with boys and girls with girls, or at least have two of each in a group so that they are more comfortable because they can be very uncomfortable. And if I don't have the ability to make that ratio work, then I try to do something different or try to, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of work around that. One of the other things that I wanted to make sure to mention is that when you are working with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, you are looking at a group of kids that are really looking for the approval of others. Mm -hmm. They're not only looking for approval within their own peer group, but they are also looking for approval from parents, from teachers, from older people, from leaders. And they really do desire recognition. They just want to be told that they're doing a good job, that things are going okay. They, they, and sometimes that's why they do act out when we think about kids that really try to make a big deal in the classroom or really try to show out, or they're making jokes when they shouldn't be, or they're talking when they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Typically you're going to find that, that those kids are just looking for attention. They're just looking for somebody some to adult respond to one-on-one. On one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they'll take it even if it's negative. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's the most amazing yeah. ab- about yeah. it. A lot of kids have learned that the only time they get any kind of recognition, the only time they get any kind of attention is when it's negative. Right. Because when they are doing things that they're supposed to be doing, when they, when they do things, no that one are positive, praises them. nobody praises them. Nobody notices them. Nobody says anything because it might just be that they're kind of in the middle there where nobody sees them or parents that really just are not paying attention. But mm-hmm. negative attention is attention. Mm-hmm. 
And so if a lot of times, if I notice I have a kid that likes that, it's because Mm -hmm. I know that they're not getting attention in other places. Mm -hmm. So if I can find ways to give that child attention, Mm -hmm. if I have a child that won't play the game Mm -hmm. and is constantly trying to interrupt, then Mm -hmm. I'm going to give him a job to do in the game. I'm going to make him a leader. I'm going to make him. And the reason why is because that's what he's wanting. He's wanting some attention. He's wanting, uh, you know, to have that moment Mm -hmm. where somebody's just paying attention to him. And so if I can find a way to encourage that in a positive way, then this one's going to be my helper. He's going to hold my pencils for me. He's going to, you know, stand and hold the poster. He's going to be the one that keeps score. There's, I'm going to find something for him to do because that's what he's needing is he's needing Mm -hmm. that little extra bit of attention. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to let him control the classroom. It just means that I'm going to try to provide for him a little bit of that attention in a more positive way. And I'm going to really try to make sure that I give him Um, approval and let him know when he's doing a good job so that he gets that little bit of extra attention. And and it's going to help a whole lot with just the classroom dynamics when you can do that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I find very interesting about preteens is that they understand when a peer is struggling. Mm. You think that they don't, but they really do. And I've had a lot of teachers over the years will say things to me like, well, I don't do this for my special needs student because it's not fair to the other kids in the class. Mm -hmm. But usually I find that the other kids in the class understand that that child has a special need. Mm -hmm. They recognize it and they recognize when they have kids that are struggling around them. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they really just want to help too. Because again, Mm -hmm. we talked about how they're beginning to look at their community in a different way and they're wanting to be more helpful and they're seeing needs around them. Mm -hmm. And so usually if I have a child that is acting out to give them some sort of what most people will look at, well, that's a privilege he didn't earn. A lot of the other kids will understand exactly why I've done it (laughs) or they understand exactly why that child needs it because they know that that child has something else that's going on that needs attention. Now, not everyone, especially if you have another child that needs attention, they're not necessarily going to see it in anybody else. Right. But typically as a group goes, you will find that if you do have to do something special for someone who has some sort of special need, they're going to understand and they're going to support that and encourage that and try to help that. And you know what's funny? That just resurrected a memory out of the depths of my brain <laughs> of being a sixth grader. Mm-hmm. And this was at school. There was um, another child who was like really mean to me. Like we were, had a signed seating and we were next to each other. But I remember even as a sixth grader, because I'd overheard some adults talking and I knew that this child's mm-hmm. parents were going through a divorce. Right. And even as a sixth grader, I knew intuitively that they're being mean because of what they're going through. I, mm-hmm. I somehow I, I just knew that like, this isn't even about me. Like it's right. just because I'm the one that's assigned to sit next to them. And so right. I remember even as a child, just kind of understanding, like knowing what was going on in their life and understanding that like, this isn't even about me. And right. so it was just kind of like water off a duck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. was like, okay, whatever. Right. So, so it's funny. It's funny you talking about all that and kind of having that memory from the depths of my mind a yes. hundred years ago you know, about kids being able to understand that. And I think we can also 
if kids say, you know, that's not fair, like we can also say, look, like I am going to um, treat each of you um, fairly, each of you appropriately, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to treat you all the same exactly. Right. right. Because the same isn't always fair because sometimes right. we need different things. And so I'm always going to make sure you get what you need. And I'm always going to make sure that that I treat you in a way that is right for you, but that doesn't mean right. it's always going to be exactly the same. Exactly. You're right. And can, you're right. Kids can, older mm -hmm. kids especially can understand oh, that. Oh, yeah. We're, 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 it is harder for first, second, and third graders to understand mm -hmm. because they do tend to be very black and white, mm -hmm. very right and wrong. You know, no, they did this. They need to be punished for this. I think you mentioned that when you were talking last yeah, time about talking like about that. The, the kids who <laughs> accidentally break several glasses, but on purpose broke one. You yeah. Know, that kind of idea of like, they have a hard time understanding right. where when you hit, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, you're beginning to understand that the world is different. You're understanding that individuals are different. You're understanding needs are different. And so even though there is still that sense of, you know, a very like a self-centered view because they are growing and they're awkward and they feel uncomfortable. And so they are very, very self-centered. They're beginning to understand the needs of others. And so they can see that when you are truly doing something that someone needs. Now, it might not be if you have like where teachers sometimes will favor a student and will do things over and over again. <laughs> oh, they will recognize yeah. that pretty yes. quickly. Yes. And so they're going to, to see. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, it really has to be your intentions of what you're doing and how you're doing it. But you because you we do want to make sure that everybody's included and that everybody feels a part of things, because that's the other thing, too. This age group can get incredibly discouraged very quickly. And so they do struggle. They love a challenge, but they like a challenge that they can actually complete. accomplish. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that things that you're asking them to do is something that developmentally they can do because they will get frustrated very easily if they're mm -hmm. trying to do something that, that they can't do. If it's an impossible mm -hmm. task, mm -hmm. then they are going to get incredibly frustrated, but they do get easily discouraged. And so that's where we really have to be very mindful of when we're working with this age group that we are encouraging them and supporting them and seeing when they have needs, mm -hmm. giving them a little bit of time to be able to try to work some things out on their own, but being ready to jump in there to help kind of springboard to the next thing or to help them to understand so that they can figure it out. We want to make sure, you know, we were talking about kids understanding when there are other children that have needs, but we don't want to point that out in the classroom. Right. Yes. You know, we don't want to say, well, yes. you know, Tommy needs that extra time to read. Right. Tommy doesn't need to hear you tell that to everyone right. else. It's, right. it, you, you know, you want to say, well, I'm just giving everyone a couple of extra minutes to be sure that everybody's had time to read. You don't have to say, well, Tommy's a slow reader and I have to give him extra time. You know, you right. want to, because again, <laughs> you know, they, they do get very embarrassed yeah. very easily at this age. And so, because they are so self-aware and, of, you know, like they're, they're so self-centered of, of thinking that everybody's looking at them, everybody's watching them, everybody's doing. And so we want to make sure that we're encouraging them. Be aware of things that they are interested in. Mm -hmm. Because if you can pull the name of a musician or a right. TV show or right. a video game out of your hat, that they think that you're too old to understand, you will win them over for life. 
you will win them over for life. And so it's, it's kind of keeping up with, oh, this is what preteens are listening to. This is what's mm-hmm. playing on Disney plus right now that everybody's watching. This mm-hmm. is, is the video game that just came out that everybody is, is loving. And it doesn't mean you have to know and do you all have to of play those it. things. You don't yeah. have to play it, you don't, but yeah. maybe you could just read about it. So you know yeah. a little bit about it. So you can mention a character or you can, you know, mm-hmm. ask some questions ask their interests, find out what things they like, let them tell you about their week, let them tell you about their ball game, let them tell you about those kinds of things. If you have the ability to attend a ball game, yeah, any kind of sporting event that they might be involved or in, recital, their piano recital, recital their ballet, yeah. whatever it is, if, mm-hmm. if you can, and, and I know that it's really hard to do that. And so it's not like I'm saying that you have to do that. But you don't have to go to everyone. <laughs> yeah, but especially yeah. if you have a child that you're really struggling to connect with, I'm telling you, if they see you, um, I, I always remember that I had just started at a, a, a church and um, I had only been there for maybe three or four months. And there was a ball game the, with the high school kids. And I was the, you know, the children's minister. I really wasn't involved with the youth that much. I mean, I knew youth. I was learning who they were. But I we went to this ball game and um we, my husband had an event at work that night. And so we had to leave. So we had seen the girls game, but we had to leave before the boys game started. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when I was on my way out, one of the high school boys stopped me that I, I hate to say, I didn't even know his <laughs> first name because I, like I said, I'd only been yeah. there a couple of months and I hadn't really met the youth that well yet. And he stopped me and he was like, Oh, Mrs. Davidson, you're leaving. And I said, yes, we have to go to this event for my husband for work. And so we left and it ended up, you know, it was, it wasn't a very long event. It didn't take us very long. And we were on our way home and we were going back by the church when we were headed home. And my husband said, Hey, you want to see if we can catch the second half of the boys game? And I was like, sure. So we stopped at the church and we watched the end of the boys play that youth ran up to me after and gave me a hug and said, I'm so glad you came back and you got to see us win. And then he just ran off to the locker room. But I looked at Lewis and I was like, how did he even notice that we were back? (laughs) Like he was playing in this game. Uh And so this was a kid that I really didn't have a lot of interaction with, but he really noticed that we had come back. And so it was one of those moments where I realized how important it is for them to be seen and, and how important it is for them when they think that people are showing an interest in them. And I know that that was an older youth, but I've always kind of used that Mm -hmm. when I've been thinking about how I can build relationships Mm -hmm. better with all of my children that I teach, because it's just being there for them. It's just Mm -hmm. showing up. It's just encouraging them in some way, even if you can only be at a couple of minutes of a ball game. The idea is that you cared enough to even show up for a couple of minutes. Yeah. So I, it's, it's such a fun age and there's so much to learn and there's so much more that we could talk about, but I feel like this has given us a really kind of good (laughs) overview of those, you know, 10 year old, 11 year old, 12 year old kids that we might have in our Mm -hmm. ministry and how we can reach out to them a little bit more, how we can minister to them more, how we can teach them better. All right. So what's next, Dr. Virginia? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about our teen years. I know this is a kids ministry podcast, um, but really let's get all the way through, um, through to adulthood um, because, you know, even after they leave our ministry, we still love and care about our kids and our teens. Um, And so one thing um, 
with puberty, you know, as we talked about with our preteens, they are entering into puberty um, mm -hmm. and that is beginning. Um, puberty sets off. So we talked in our last episode um, about, and when we were talking about the toddler years, um, mm -hmm. we talked about a process called synaptic pruning and mm -hmm. puberty sets off a second round of this process of synaptic pruning where the brain has been um, throughout childhood, slowly mm -hmm. building more and more and more neural connections. Um, mm -hmm. And in puberty, in the teenage years, it is honing and refining itself to become the adult brain <laughs> that, that kids will have um, and carry with, into adulthood. Now, the brain doesn't fully mature until the mid-20s. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very important thing to remember that I don't think people always realize is that yes. it does not. Um, one thing with brain development is that brain development happens back to front. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the rear of our brain, um, like on top, right on top of our brainstem is the cerebellum. And that's what mm -hmm. controls our motor development. And then all the way up here in the very, very front, right on our forehead, right behind our forehead and our eyes is our prefrontal cortex. That's the part of our brain that does logic, decision making, um, it controls us. It helps us, you know, inhibit things that we shouldn't say or shouldn't do that are maybe, you know, dumb or whatever. <laughs> um, and so this is why we can have teenagers, college students, young people who are great athletes. Mm -hmm. Their motor skills are very developed. They're these wonderful athletes who then make really like dumb decisions and yes. lose their college scholarship or things right. like that. This you know, this part of their brain um, that controls movement is highly developed. And the part of their brain mm -hmm. that controls logic, decision making right here behind the forehead is still growing and developing until the mid 20s. Um, and so we see um, this process in the teen years of synaptic pruning. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that um, I whenever I talk about teens in particular, mm -hmm. um, and I've actually shared this with teens as well. That was fun at a youth camp. Um, <laughs> so in the teen years, so we have this process of the brain honing and refining itself. Mm -hmm. And then we also have certain things such as drug use, um, mm -hmm. pornography use, right. that also have very profound effects on the brain. Mm -hmm. And those effects are amplified in the teen years because right. of this process of synaptic pruning. And so we know with neuroplasticity, our brains grow and change over the course of a lifetime. It is never too late to change our habits, um, but our habits are what wire our brains. Mm -hmm. um, our environment, our habits are what guide this process of synaptic pruning, of honing and refining the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always encourage teens to be very intentional with the habits they do and don't have, um, because that really is building and wiring their brain for adulthood. And so mm -hmm. we can build and wire into our brains um, lots of really great habits to carry for the rest of their lives. Or unfortunately, we can build and wire in um, negative habits that Yes. will be something to be overcome in the adult years. And so went and staffed like a week-long youth camp and they're asking for people to do breakout sessions. So I did a breakout session on neuroscience and spiritual formation. Ooh. And so we talked about all kinds of interesting stuff, but yes, to a room of mixed gender teenagers, <laughs> I taught them about the effects of drug use, pornography, that sort of stuff on their brain. Right. Because I do want them to know and understand because our society says it's no big deal. 
Our society yeah. says it's fine. Our society says, do, do you do you. Right. But increasingly, if we look at the science behind it, we know that there are very, very profound effects of all these things. And so I do think it is worth teaching that um, to our youth so that they know the truth. I think it helps them to understand themselves better when they understand that our brains are forming at this age. And so there's things that are changing and things that you are able to do and things that you aren't able to do. And it's not just that you aren't able to do something because you just can't. It's because certain areas of your brain are working differently. That's why it's so important when you're talking with youth that are not making wise decisions to help them understand they do have control, mm -hmm. but they're not always making the wisest decisions. So we still have to help guide them and help yes. them learn and understand that. Also think we have to remember that. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember this person that came to do a presentation for us during our doctoral program, but she was bringing in a study that they had done with older teen boys, mm -hmm. seniors and freshmen in college, mm -hmm. where they were showing them videos, pictures of people in, and they were experiencing different emotions. Mm -hmm. Like the, the person mm -hmm. in the picture looked afraid. The mm -hmm. person in the picture looked sad. The person mm -hmm. in the picture looked scared. Mm -hmm. And they were having them define mm -hmm. what emotion the person on the screen was feeling. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. these older, you know, teenage boys mm -hmm. were getting them wrong yeah. over and over and over again, <laughs> because she was saying that the, the chemical makeup of the brain did not allow them to be able to interpret emotion. They had not matured enough to be able to interpret emotion. And there was just this light bulb that went on in so many people in the room <laughs> saying, oh, because you know, when you are, when you have a teenager and, you know, you're expecting them to, to, you know, to show you compassion when you feel sad and they just kind of walk through the room with their chips and their headphones on and they just keep going. <laughs> it's not necessarily that they're just being rude or that they right. don't care about you. It's just that their brain is not processing. Right, like they're, right. sitting there crying. Right, right, <laughs> right, so, right. You know, we have to understand that some of the things that our children are doing are natural mm -hmm. things that they are doing as they grow and they don't mean it necessarily mm -hmm. to be as harsh and as hurtful. Right. As right. To be. And right. so I find that so interesting. Right. Well, and it's, it's one thing too, when it, studies have shown that teenagers have a very hard time um, still imagining and taking the perspective of another person. And so, um, you know, we know that we know that preschoolers can't do that, but teens mm -hmm. still struggle with that as well. They are still developing those abstract thinking skills, just like what mm -hmm. you're saying, to infer what another person is thinking from the emotions on their face. I mean, all these processes that we do in an instant as adults are actually mm -hmm. like really complex. And it takes a lot of knowledge and experience for our brains to accurately make inferences mm -hmm. about other people, about their emotions, about what they're right. thinking or feeling. And so, you know, so sometimes our teens may feel like we expect them to be mind readers right. and we feel like we, it should be obvious. Why can you not, <laughs> don't you not see this is just, yeah. <laughs> Right. But For really, sure. it's just a disconnect in what we how we experience the world as adults and where teens are at developmentally. Yeah. And so they are. So they're they're 
going, they're learning all these things still. Um, and so it's important for us to remember that. Um, teens are also, we talked about this starting in the preteen years, beginning um, really to solidify their identity. Um, teens and young adults are, are deciding, you know, who they are and who they're going to be, um, you know, solidifying their values. It's really um, valuable and important for us in the childhood years to lay that foundation of values um, because teens evaluate and decide, you know, what they're going to keep, what they're going to leave. Um, and so teens are deciding, you know, of that foundation that we've laid, is it worth keeping or is mm -hmm. it, or should they dig it up and lay a new foundation? Mm -hmm. And so it's so valuable for us to, in the years leading up to that, mm -hmm. lay that firm foundation of biblical values. And then in the teen years, as they have questions, um, you know, being open to say, you know, I don't always know the answer to that, but mm -hmm we can work through that together. We can find yeah. that answer together. And oh, so yeah. um, being patient um, and non-reactive as teenagers <laughs> work through their questions and let yes. them know that it's okay to ask questions um, and work through them to, to answers and to find yeah. the answers and the solutions to the things yeah. and the values that they're developing. I've always said that God is big enough to handle our hard questions. Amen. And so many times in church, we feel almost offended when people ask hard questions mm -hmm. or we feel like they're being um, like disrespectful. disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. And so we have to remember that, you know, God wants us to ask questions. He wants us to learn. He wants us to have a relationship. And so questions are part of that and, and letting kids know that there is never a wrong question that they can ask anything. And it, I think that that's really important. So, you know, there's always so much more um, that we could talk about with our sure. teenagers. Um, again, we could, we could do, <laughs> you know, we could talk about this, this whole topic of development for, you know, hours and hours. Yeah. And hopefully um, we will talk about it more. later <laughs> more. on. Yes, yeah. yes. But we're going to wrap it up here. And so hopefully this has been a helpful time um, as you think about and structure your time teaching children um, and just the way that we interact with them. Yes, it's a lot of fun. Thank you, Dr. Virginia. It was a yes. fun conversation Thank today. Thank you, Dr. Val. <laughs> and friends, we are so glad that you joined us. We are so excited that we actually achieved over 100 subscribers on our YouTube page. Yay! So our YouTube page has a name. We actually have a channel now <laughs> and it's easier to find us. And mm -hmm. so we are also now um, working on getting our episodes uploaded to Podbean, to Spotify, to Apple Podcasts so that you can listen to our podcast if you would prefer to listen to us in that method. We have a few up there already, but we're getting the rest of them kind of transferred over and getting everything set up. So we are really excited to be growing, to be able to provide more opportunities for you to be able to find us. We would love for to hear from you. We would love for you to make some comments, to send us an email, to get us um, any information. We would love suggestions on things that you would like to hear about because we want to be ministering to you and where you are in the needs that you have. So we hope that you all have a great week and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.